Meet me on the softer side. Meet me on the softer side. Softer side of your heart. Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. You can find out about this and all of our other author events at www.skylightbooks.com, where you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online. You can also follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at Facebook.com. If you'd like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. And don't forget, Skylight Books depends on listeners like you to help support us. So whether you're in our neighborhood or browsing online, buy a book or two to help ensure that we'll be around for a long, long time. Thanks and enjoy. Please welcome uh, Richard Lang and Jerry Stahl. We're going to start with a reading from Richard and then Jerry. All right, I guess uh, what I will do is I'll, I'll read for a few minutes first and then the star uh, can come out. So I'm the opening act. Uh, this is my new, new... Can you hear me? Do I even need this thing? not really good with this. Is this, this you can hear, right? Yeah, good. Uh, this is my new novel. It's called Angel Baby. It came out in May. Uh, it's the story of Luz, who is the wife of a mid-level narco in Tijuana who has left a daughter uh, behind in Los Angeles. At the, and the book is structured as a chase. So at the beginning of the book, she decides she's going to return home to, to LA to get her daughter leave this drug dealer who she's been living with for the past three years. And like I said, it's a chase, so you follow it from the first chapter to the end is the, the chase and the people that she gets involved with. One of the people she gets involved with is a uh, sort of an, ex, an assassin for a drug dealer who's in prison. The, pris the drug dealer gets him out of pr prison to pursue her. Uh, his name is Geronimo. He turns out not to be quite what you expect him to be. And uh, I guess what I'll read tonight is uh, the introduction to uh, Geronimo uh, from the book. All right. Geronimo Cruz, El Apache on the street, reaches up to adjust the reading lamp mounted on the wall above his bunk, shifting the beam to better illuminate the pages of the worn paper paperback romance novel that he's a few pages from finishing. He'll forget the story as soon as he's done, but books are scarce in La Mesa, so he reads everything that comes along, in Spanish or in English. One week it's Stephen King, the next something about white women shopping in New York. It doesn't matter to him. He can only pump so much iron and watch so much TV. Reading forces his mind to work, helps pass the time, and keeps him off the yard, which is where most trouble starts. Ronald McDonald pokes his head into the cell, his bright red hair standing up like he just saw something that scared the shit out of him. He has freckles too, and the joke is his mom fucked a clown. Sparafanta, he asks. Go ahead, Geronimo replies. Ronald slips inside and bends to pull a cold can of soda out of the small refrigerator under Geronimo's bunk. They locked the block up early, he says. I can't get over to the commissary. The Jew isn't open? Ronald backs out and looks down the tier to where the old man called the Jew peddles soft drinks and snacks out of his cell. You can buy whatever you want in this place, from tacos to dope to TVs to birthday cards for your kids. 
Geronimo's never seen anything like it in any of the prisons he's done time in on both sides of the border. He might be in the infirmary, Ronald says, stepping back into the cell. I heard his liver is fucked. Have a seat, Geronimo says. A square of plywood covers the open toilet, and there's a cushion on top for visitors. That's where Ronald sits now and sips from his Fanta. I heard something else, too, he says. Yeah, Geronimo says. That pendejo Salazar over in B Block says he's going to kill you for disrespecting him. I didn't disrespect him, Geronimo says. Ronald shrugs. He asked me to play cards, and I didn't want to, Geronimo continues. He's made an effort to keep, him, to keep to himself this time around, and a year into his three-year bid has only had to fight twice. That's an accomplishment, considering what a sensitive bunch convicts are, always looking for reasons to get their feelings hurt and stomp a mud hole in someone's ass. That he's under the protection of El Principe helps, because nobody wants to piss off the prince. But the association also leads to resentment. Less well-connected prisoners see his one-man cell, his TV and microwave and electric fan, then look around the filthy, sweltering dormitory they share with 500 other snoring, farting, stinking prisoners and say, fuck that ass licker. Salazar is one of the jealous ones. You're too good to play with us, huh? He said when Geronimo declined his offer to join the poker game. So go to hell then. The kind of threat Ronald just reported usually goes in one of Geronimo's ears and out the other. Another dumb shit talking tough. But Salazar is something else. He's serving max time for murder and has killed two other men while inside. Left them holding their guts in, his, in their hands. A loco like that you take seriously. Somewhere on the block someone starts singing a hymn at the top of his lungs. Another prisoner yells at him to shut up. Jesus is coming, the sing singing con roars, slurring drunk. Better get ready. Jesus can suck my cock, is the reply. Ronald hands Geronimo a cigarette, and he sits up on his bunk and leans forward to reach the match. They say Salazar cut someone's head up during the riot, Ronald says, then ate the guy's eyes. In 2008, before Geronimo began his stint, the inmates here rioted to protest the overcrowded, unsanitary conditions of the prison and the brutality of the guards. At that time, 8,000 men and women were packed into the facility, which had originally been designed to hold 3,000. The authorities regained control after three days by storming the cell block and opening fire on the rioters. The official death toll was 21 inmates killed and scores injured, but darker rumors swirled that hundreds of additional bodies were bulldozed into a common grave in the prison cemetery. Everyone who is here then has a riot story. Nightmare atrocities committed by prisoners or guards, harrowing close calls, selfless rescues performed under fire. A whole new pantheon of heroes and villains was born out of the blood and flames. Geronimo listens politely to the tales, but doesn't put any stock in them. He spent enough time behind bars to understand that myth quickly eclipses truth in places where the truth is always suspect. So, ate his eyes, he says to Ronald? Fuck. Just so you know, Ronald says. What I'm up against, huh, Geronimo says. Ronald finishes his Fanta and checks his watch. Malcolm in the middle's on, he says. He has a cell to himself, too, and a TV, paid for by his parents. He's halfway through two years for beating his wife and says he'd do it again tomorrow if the bitch spoke to him like she did the night he lost control. Geronimo shuts out the light when Ronald goes, lies back on his bunk and closes his eyes. He thinks about his own wife, Irma, and their kids, Geronimo Jr. and Ariel. They're living with Irma's sister now, and Irma says everything is fine. There's enough money, enough room, and the children are happy. She offers to bring them to visit, but Geronimo won't let them see him here. He won't let Irma come for conjugals either, because he isn't even sure he'd be able to get it up in one of the dirty little rooms they stick you in. Junior will be five when he gets out. Ariel seven. Three years for kids at that age is half their lives. They'll barely remember him. So that's...
Here's Jerry. Thanks a lot, Richard. Yeah. Uh, nothing I'm going to read is half as badass as what, what Richard just read. This is, this is the candy ass section of the evening. Um, this is a book called Happy Mutant Baby Pills. Uh, part of which, um, this is kind of a stretch for me, it was about a failed writer. Uh, a guy who, I, you know, I just thought, why not just, you know, go for something out of my comfort zone. <laughs> and uh, so part of it's about a guy who as a kid really wanted to be a writer and, uh, you know, read the backs of cereal boxes and then grew up and wrote the backs of cereal boxes, uh, among other things, in the form of you know, uh, instructions for marital aids and the side effects in the backs of prescription bottles. So he's a side effects man, and that's what this section is about. You don't think about the people who write the side effect copy for Abilify or Alestra ads. It's not as easy as you think. You need to decide whether anal leakage goes best before or after suicidal thoughts and dry mouth. <laughs> it's kind of a highbrow book, as, uh, as you guys are noticing. I, I'm kind of an academic, but you know, you gotta, you gotta ask people to reach. I take a ribbing from some of the guys at the office, which I have to admit gets to me. They know I've been working on a novel, but it's been a while. I guess I should also admit that the heroine helps with some of the shame I feel about writing this stuff, or life in general. It's a nod of recognition in the front. Watch your wallets. Uh, I'm not like a junkie junkie. I use it. I don't let it use me. And I'm not going to lie, it helps. It's like suddenly you have a mommy who loves you. You just have to keep paying her. <laughs> but we were talking about the good things, like, not to brag, it was my idea to refer to the discharge from the rectal area as anal leakage rather than intestinal discharge, which technically, if not linguistically speaking, are two different things. My thinking was, bad as anal leakage is, at least it's vaguely familiar. Tires leak, faucets leak, it's, it's around the house stuff, and we all have anuses. Ain't I? I almost said ain't I cute, but I left that out of the book and I'm glad, I'm kind of glad I did now because I'm ashamed I even brought that up. But discharge is never good. Try to think of one situation involving discharge from your body that is not kind of horrible. Can't do it. Or if you can, I don't want to hear about it. So that's the first section. I um. I did experiment with heroin for a um, couple of decades, and uh, it has left me less, less than able to completely think in a linear fashion, so some of this book, or focus for a long time, so this book is in little bite-sized chunks because it's easier for me, and I hope it's okay with you. It's too late if it isn't. <laughs> Everybody has their little rituals. Miles Dreek, the other side effects man, walks in with his spirulina and hemp protein smoothie and gluten-free bran muffin every morning. When I come in, I have my own stations of the cross. I go to the men's room, hook up a shot in my favorite stall, grab coffee and my ironic Dilbert mug, and amble back to my cubicle where the latest batch of American maladies await. Today, for example, 
is embarrassing flaky patches day. I watched the moving drama the clients have already filmed showing a nice white lady with other nice white people in a nice restaurant and listened to her VO. It was a weekend to relax with friends and family. It's the only voice I do, by the way, so all characters will have that voice. But even here, there was no escaping it. It's called moderate to severe chronic plaque psoriasis. Once again, I had to deal with these embarrassing, flaky, painful red patches. It was time for a serious talk with my dermatologist. Here's where I roll up my sleeves. Well, at least one of them. Ha ha. That's an inside joke. From a roster of grim side effects, I start cobbling together the authoritative but friendly PSE, possible side effects for you civilians. Humira can lower your ability to fight infections, including tuberculosis. Serious, sometimes fatal events can occur, such as lymphoma, lymphoma or lymphoma, or other types of cancer, blood, liver, and nervous system problems. Serious allergic reactions and new or worsening heart failure. Any good text coming in, buddy? <laughs> I'm just fucking with you. And new or worsening heart failure. I had me at cancer. Seriously, I don't care if bloody images of Satan bubble up in my flesh. I'd have to do heroin just to stop worrying about the lymphoma and heart failure I might get for taking the shit to get rid of them. That's the dirty little secret of TV medicine spots. We start off with a Bible, a side effects Bible. Basically, a collection of heinous possibilities, which it is our job to recite and minimize, sometimes by just saying them really fast, other times by finding language that can render them acceptable. Whatever revulsion neutralizes pat they came up with to help sell the shit. There is no chance in hell the people who write it would go near the stuff. Sure, I might geese Mexican tars smuggled up a syphilitic drug mule's asshole. <laughs> but you'd have to be crazy to swallow an abilify. <laughs> um, that's that section. Now we're going to get into a more romantic part of the evening. He has a, uh, he has a girlfriend. He being the character in this book. And uh, this is a little section where they're traveling together in a car. I pressed the button to start the hybrid, adjusting as usual to its unearthly silence and spine-crushing mobile ashtray-like designer comfort. Once driving, as was the local custom, I eased sideways and low in my seat, steering left-handed. Nora elbowed my elbow off the armrest. You can't do a gangster lean in a Prius. <laughs> You're right, I replied, and recited another slogan I would never sell. Prius, on the right side of history, on the wrong side of cool. <laughs> Let the words pass through you. You are but a vessel. This is from the inspirational How to Write Self-Helper, All the Letters in My Keyboard Spell God, by Dover Dannerson, which I am actually working on under a different pseudonym. <laughs> We do what we can. An ex-side effects man turned best-selling inspirational scribe, which in itself was kind of inspiring, considering that Dover, not to be catty, pretty much ran on Adderall and Xanax, battled a dozen sexual harassment charges from his time at Squib, and lived with his parents. This is definitely uncool, I muttered to Nora, again taking in the comfort-free Prius from sacro punishment seat to toilet seat blue dashboard plastic. Cool is a fascist construct, Nora snaps, surprising me once more by speaking in the voice of someone I hadn't met before, though I'd been with her for a while. Someone educated, maybe an autodidact, borderline political, or totally schizophrenic. Something delicious. And uh, I'm going to finish up with... 
Well, if I tear up a little, you understand. I'm going to finish up with a, uh, a, really, a really super romantic part of the evening. This is um, kind of the heart of the book is to protest capitalism and deregulation and the rest of the Koch brothers inspired condition we live in, this woman decides to take every over, under, and beyond the counter drug yeah. solvent artificial sweetener uh, possible to give birth to the most mutant child she can as a way of protesting. Uh, originally an after school special as I think I mentioned in the beginning. This is called The Final Solution, Horizontal. Now I defended her. A woman sprawled on her back with a pea-sized fetus in her belly and a full count of Roundup, Roundup aimed up her uterus. But instead, I know that old routine. But instead of lashing out as I'd expected, she went the opposite way, grew quiet, subdued. Testament undoubtedly to the serious thought she'd given the endeavor. I'd bet anything I thought moronically that no one in this motel room Probably any motel room, an entire world of motel rooms, has discussed deliberately mutating an unborn child to make a point, let alone save the world. It's nothing new, she said, still low-key. What isn't? Just having a conversation, any conversation, in the middle of this travesty made me feel like an accomplice, Joseph Mengele's towboy. <laughs> it's a reference to Joseph Mengele, the angel of death. <laughs> For those of you who don't get the History Channel. Pretty hard. But here I was, so I listened. Deforming babies, deliberately, she said. The government's been doing it forever. Talk to the downwinders in southern Utah. May 25th, 1953, we tested Grable, a nuclear bomb. We? The United States, the Defense Department, asshole. For months afterward, southern Utah was showered with nuclear grit. Everybody pretended the government was testing the power of the blast to intimidate the Russians, but it was never about megatonnage or kill capacity or anything like that. I loved it when she talked dirty. It was about the birth defects. We pretended during the Cold War that we were going to pulverize their people to dust. But that wasn't the real message. The real message was, hey, Khrushchev, forget the little commies we're going to obliterate. The ones who don't get obliterated are going to be born with cleft palates, live deformity, limb deformities, brains the size of pigeon eggs. It works. I'm talking about babies born with bones so brittle, mom and dad would have to take them back and forth to the hospital wrapped in styrofoam. Did they have styrofoam then? Lloyd, are you listening to me? I'm talking about Dow, Monsanto, the Koch brothers, General Electric. General Electric, I recited out of habit. We bring good things to life. Lloyd, the whole point of everything is not that they want what they want you to think. Even liberals, even progressives, they're all wrong. The point is not that birth defects are a side effect of rampant capitalism. The point is birth defects are the point. Disease is the point. You think deregulation is just to make sure it's easier to make a profit? Wrong. It's so the general population can stay gene raped from conception on. I caught my breath. Nora grabbed another item from her bag, chartreuse nail polish, and began artfully painting her already painted toe and fingernails, making sure to inhale huge chest-feeling gusts of the shellacky fumes. Why do you think the Supreme Court ruled against those poor farmers in Utah whose babies grew up with spleens attached to their kneecaps and God knows what else? Not that God gives a shit. Why do you think there are PCBs in kids' pajamas, in couches, even nursing pillows? And that shit is nothing. She stopped to bite her freshly painted pinky nail, then kept going. 
By now, it's corny to even mention corporations polluting rivers, destroying mountaintops. All business does is eat resources and shit out death. From the, from the hollows of West Virginia to the dead fish of Love Canal, from the Amazon River Basin to Exxon and Nigeria, it was like if I had a hammer with birth defects. <laughs> that line sometimes kills, sometimes. It's one of those things you write at four in the morning and then you realize, wow, I'm reading in, I'm up here in public now. I had a feeling she'd given this rant before. Her speech gone a little slurry after huffing aerosol rust proofer sharpened right back when she picked up a pipe and fired up what from the acrid stink of it. And it had to be really acrid to cut through rustoleum and nail polish. Had to be bathtub crank. Now you're tweaking? Everybody's tweaking. We live in a big tweakosphere. Nice. Just be careful you don't blow yourself up with all those fumes you've got floating around. As she smoked, she fished in the bag and came out with a can of floor wax. She smeared the stuff in her hands like moisturizer, taking big whiffs off her palms. It's almost funny. All these so-called progressive types going on about depleted uranium, turning a generation of newborn Iraqis into nerve-damaged, brain-fucked little leukemia bundles. Meanwhile, it's nothing. Nothing compared to what we've, gone, we've got going on right here. She paused to take a can of Glade out of her bag. <laughs> Cleansing rain scent. And splooshed a few puffs between her legs and in front of her face. Toluene and phthalate. Look them up. Tests on spider monkeys showed infants born with gender abnormalities, including external ovaries and doubled testicles. I squirmed. You believe people spray this in their own homes? It's like, ooh, we're Americans. We don't mind malignancy as long as we can breathe fake nature smells instead of our own stink. <laughs> Not that there's nature anymore, right? You can't even find an apple in Europe that isn't irradiated, especially in France. Jerry Lewis nuclear reactors. That's culture. I get it, I snapped. Don't eat the French fruit. I try to stay calm. Nora, baby, you know how hard this is, watching you douse yourselves, stashing a chemical smorgasbord up your hole? It's like a portable holocaust. The worst part is, I know the side effects. I know what might happen to you. Not me. I told you. It's not about me. Here she cupped her hands over her belly, speaking softly. It's about my baby, my precious little American mutant. Now shut up and fuck me like you want to save the world. Thanks. <laughs> Now we're going to have a, a very elevating discussion. Yeah, conversation. I'm sniffing that coming right now. Well, I'm going to ask uh, you right off the bat, uh, where the fuck did you come up with this uh, idea? It has some uh, vaguely autobiographical roots. Um, I just right about the time that I found out my then girlfriend, now wife, was pregnant, uh, I started a Hep C trial, a hepatitis C trial drug to get off, uh, to cure my hepatitis C, which was uh, sort of the junkie's gift pack. That you know, when you didn't get AIDS, you got Hep C. It's what took Lou Reed out why I had to get a new liver that didn't actually work. Not to brag. And uh, <laughs> right when I started taking that, they said, "Oh, by the way." If uh, your pregnant wife so much as touches a drop of sweat while you are on this medication, your baby will basically be born purple with wheels and a Ron Perlman head. <laughs> so uh, I got to thinking, as one does, uh, 
Well, actually, I'm flattering. I'm more like obsessing on birth defects and all those possibilities. And it occurred to me that, you know, I used to be a dope fiend and I took drugs voluntarily. And now, in fact, we take them all the time when we have no say in the matter. And uh, plus, I was terrified of what might happen to that child. So um, what I do when I'm really scared of something is just obsessively research it until my eyes bleed. And uh, that was a way to... Uh, make myself get through the night since we couldn't be together. I was just like alone staring at pictures of babies with things like Cri du Chat syndrome, which is when your baby cries like a cat. It's just fucked the, up. The internet's hell, right? I mean, it's at sometimes. Uh, it is hell. Yes. When you can, when you can uh, indulge all of your... Yeah, you uh, can go right down that um, delightful rabbit hole of death. <laughs> and uh, so that's the origin of that. Uh, I, I just wanted to say, having read the book, uh, you know, already that what he, what he read you guys, you know, it's it's sensational and, and funny stuff. But it, at root, this book is a very very sad and and human and human book. I mean, uh, when you go through these these parts are funny. Well, in in context, they're not funny, but. Uh, You're it's, allowed to be funny when talking uh, about this. Yeah, stuff, well, you know? I mean, it's it, it was it was weird because you keep going back. As a reader, I kept going back and forth between you know being completely horrified and then laughing my ass off, and then which is how I go through life. <laughs> but yeah, I, I yeah. I mean, saying, uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, it, to me, I think that's the great tightrope that you walk <laughs> in this is, uh, you know, because I. I I, I personally wouldn't have enjoyed it if it had just been a catalog of you know funny making fun of of this this stuff. But the fact that you add this human dimension, it's a, a very emotional dimension, uh, really really made it a, a a great book for me. Yeah, it's probably not the uh, stuff of bestsellerdom, you know. I, I mean, I, I'm, why is it in paperback? I mean, this should be a friggin' hardback with a full you know. Well, uh, <laughs> my books usually sell in the high eights, so I figured they, they wanted to save on their investment. Yeah. And it's, I guess it's sort of like the book equivalent of like direct-to-video. You know, My books come out and they wave them under, over a Barnes & Noble and throw them a remainder bin occasionally. Um, but I don't give a shit. You know? I mean, Can't they take the hardcover and rip it off and turn it into a softcover? <laughs> Where were you when I needed you? What a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> or just soak them. <laughs> Soften them up, yeah. But uh, I was not consulted. But you know, what the hell? Yeah, I didn't really prepare any questions, so uh, as you can tell. So uh, if anybody out here has something they want to ask Jerry, uh, please. Uh, yeah. So as a advertising copywriter, has all kinds of terms and conditions memorized forever in my head. Is reading this. Is that what you do? You're an ad. You're an ad guy. Yeah, I didn't know that. Gonna make me wanna uh, jump off a bridge. <laughs> I think if you've stayed on that bridge until now, I don't think I'm gonna be the guy who tips you over the rail. Uh, I don't have that power. By the way, can we say this man writes great novels, the great Jim Rowland. So, little blurb for my friend. Uh, and Vermin on the Mount, a great reading series. Did you actually have the CDC number? You actually went to prison or you just did the jail term? I mean, you, you speak about 
speak about uh, being locked up. I did minor league time, but I, I the closest I came was teaching at San Quentin and teaching at uh, Silmar Juvenile Hall. How about how about yourself? When'd you get when'd you get sprung? Okay. <laughs> I understand completely. I hear everything you're not saying. Uh, Jerry. Yes, sir. What are you usually thinking when you wake up in the morning? <laughs> Phil Donahue, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, just how damn happy I am and grateful to be here. You know, I mean, you have to understand, I just got cured of hep C. And it, the thing about disease is you don't know how sick you are until you get rid of it. So after like an entire adulthood of either being strung out or sick and feeling like shit, suddenly, I'm not saying I get up and click my heels, mind you, but uh, I, you know, I, I'm almost embarrassingly grateful to be around, even in the morning. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Let's all give a little, little high five to my liver. Um, yeah, what's left of it? Is that a question or a stretch? Question. The great Shauna Kenny, by the way. Uh, the closest I've come to legitimate ad copy, I, I used to have a gig uh, writing the sort of um, catalog copy for Doc Johnson marital aids. That's in there though. Right? Or sexual toy, what do you call them now? Sex aids now. They used to be called marital aids for some reason. Sex as if you had to be married to, you know, he's a squirrel shaped dildo, but yeah. <laughs> That's in the book though, you go into that. I, I really, uh, I got a little uh, autobiographical on my ass on this one, yeah. I figured if you did the research, what the hell, you know? Even if you didn't know it was research at the time, yeah. I have a question. Yes. You were talking about how um, uh, you read all these separate parts because you're, um, you, know, you said your attention span is uh, uh, shorter. Has, how has that affected your writing? Like, uh, well, I, I sort of write the way I like to read, which is, uh, this is not probably the, the coolest thing to admit, but I kind of like bite-sized chapters, you know? I mean, even, even in like the new Pynchon book, he, if I can drop Pynchon into the conversation, um, about the Yenta private eye, it's, it's just, you know, it's nice, short, kind of bite-sized chapters, and there's something weirdly satisfying about that, which probably says more about my incipient ADD than anything else. But thank you for asking. Do you have a thing with, do you? I love mean and mean. Getting there you go, right? Yeah, see? Fuck those Russians. <laughs> the unpronounceable character names. 900 page books that their wives had to type. <laughs> do you write every day or do you have a schedule for writing? No, I am sort of a binge writer. You know, I'll, I'll, I'm either like writing or just hating the shit out of myself for not writing until it gets so bad I have to write. So uh, I like to just immerse myself and kind of around, around the clock it, which is a little tricky um, as, as my life is now. But you know, um, basically I, I, I'd, love, I'd love to say yes from six to 11. Uh, from 6 in the morning to 11 at night, I'm behind the computer. I, think I, I just read this thing with Martin Amos, who said basically all writers lie, and if you can get in two hours a day, that's great. <laughs> the rest is dithering, you know. But then you get guys like Magritte, who would like finish a novel, 
uh, you know, the Simonon, you know, guy, uh, Magritte, uh, Inspector Magritte, I guess it is, uh, and, and he would just finish a novel and like then just roll out and type the beginning, or Donald Goines, who was a great African-American pulp writer who would write a book a week on heroin. All supremely readable, weirdly enough. But to answer your question, no, I just, I just go in hard and stay there, and then I just forget about it for a while, and then I go back in. Because I got to do a lot of other stuff, you know, to finance the expensive habit of writing novels. What is that other stuff? Can you? Well, I just did an episode of Marin. Um, anybody watch? Anybody gets IFC? And uh, so, yeah, you know, some movie stuff. Uh, most of which are soon to be never made. And uh, you know, I'm, work, I'm working on. Say what? What's that? Hemingway. Hemingway and Gellhorn, right? Thank you so much. Okay, I did that. Uh, yeah, a couple of years ago. Uh, and uh, a lot of other. Um, I'm also working on a self-help book. Under that pseudonym. The Addict's Way. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I've got my finger in a lot of moldy pies. Anybody? Well, we've maxed out. <laughs> thank you very much for coming. I really appreciate it. And thank you, Richard. For Richard lowered his own literary real estate by coming here tonight. Thanks. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all of our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Fragile Gang. You can check them out at MySpace, Facebook, and the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.